Old news. Octopuses are erotic. gender studies so you don't have to we are on twitter at troubles one and we're on instagram at gender.troubles.pod and we have a patreon and gender troubles is a proud member of the harbinger media network you can find a bunch of amazing podcasts from all around canada at harbingermedianetwork.com so sorry it's been a minute we were supposed to return in september and then we simply didn't yeah, it, there's been a few life change updates. Yeah. Um, we both have new jobs. Yes. And I moved. And you have a difficult cat in your house right now that's not yours. So it's been a lot. <laughs> um, but we're back, kind of, with a, a bit of a new episode, although it's not a traditional episode. It's a bit of a half episode. It's a reminding people that we exist and we haven't. We haven't forgotten about you all. It was supposed to be a summer reading list, but now we're in November, so it's more like a fall reading list, but like something to get you through the winter. Um, yeah. Full of books and podcasts and movie recommendations of things that we've recently interacted with and enjoyed. Yeah. One of the main kind of feedback we get when people message us, which is lovely and you should always do, is kind of like, what are you liking? Where's a good place to start and stuff? So I think hopefully... If you need something new to get or to consume as we get into the dark, cold winter months, there'll be something here. Or not. Maybe yeah. you've read all of this and you're like, wow, they're really late to the game, which is also yeah. fair. <laughs> um, okay. My first pick is a book by Andrea Lawlor called Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl. Have you read this? Yes. It was a birthday present and I love it. And then I gave it to my sister to read. Um, amazing but yes it's so good it's so so good it's so good yeah so it's about a person named Paul who's living in a university town in the midwest I think although I'm still confused about what the midwest is Paul is a shapeshifter it's not a spoiler because that happens in the first few pages um and Paul can like transform between genders so the book centers around Paul's various relationships and trying to find a place in in a in a queer scene that is very like very much still rooted in cisgender identity. So my favorite part is when Paul goes to one of those like women's fest like music festivals that was happening in the 1990s, like women in songs or whatever. I don't know. Um, Lilith Fair. Like yeah, that. Lilith Fair. Yeah. Um, then these festivals were like super transphobic and didn't let any non cis women in. They were like women's festival, women only. Um, so Paul goes to, to one of these festivals and deals with like a lot of fear about being found out and feels like an outsider. And I think it's just like a really interesting comment on like, uh, I don't know, like being like, what is a woman, which, you know, we love to talk about. So I highly recommend. Mm -hmm. And it has a nice cover. So if you like read it out in the world, you'll like, you don't look dorky, which is, you know, very important when it comes. The first pick of mine is a very small book called Females by Andrea Longchu. Um, it's from Verso, so you know it's good because everything that Verso produces is 10 out of 10. Um, and it came out a few years ago, and I really started following Andrea Longchu when she started writing for New York Magazine. She writes like book criticisms and is just like 
like the height of criticism, like the one she did published recently looking at Otessa Moshveg's new book, La Fanova or whatever, and then kind mm-hmm. of a bigger overarching critique of like how Otessa portrays women and fat people specifically. And she uses this whole metaphor of like shitting and the anus, but it like works and it's like great criticism. <laughs> um, it's like 10 out of 10. Um, and so the book females is kind of like a manifesto, I guess, or like a response to this play by Valerie Solanus called Up Your Ass. Um, you probably know of Valerie Solanus for writing Scum Manifesto and for shooting Andrew, Andy Warhol. Um, but she also wrote this kind of experimental play uh, that she really wanted Andy Warhol to, to produce and he did not because he like lost the, the script or something. I don't know. But... Um, <laughs> Some people consider Valerie Solanas to be kind of this like radical feminist. She has some, you know, uh, controversial to say the the least views on on kind of men and women in general. Um, But Andrea has this like kind of love, this obsession for her. And it kind of goes through in this book where the central thesis is like, everyone is female and everyone hates it. And so it's this really interesting look at both the play of Valerie Solanas's and Scum Manifesto and the author's kind of experience transitioning and being like a, a theater student too. There's like, it's very much written by someone who like did a lot of theater in college, which I love. Um, and, you know, it's like a hundred pages. So it's really easy to read. My next pick is I think it's one of those ones where everyone was reading it in 2019 when it first came out and I wasn't and now I'm reading it and um I'm a big loser so (laughs) no (laughs) it's um how to do nothing by Jenny O'Dell have you read this one no I haven't even heard of it so I'm out of the loop completely it's okay (laughs) we can be losers together (laughs) (laughs) um so um this book it focuses on the attention economy and how like big tech and social media are vying for every bit of our free time. Odell's research is like fantastic and it's based a lot, both in art history. Um, She's an artist, a professor of digital art. And um, she's also done like a ton of work in like workers' rights movements. Um, So she bases a lot of her research in that. And uh, yeah, I love the way that the book is structured and um, it's like, a nonfiction and like very academic, but also like very poetic and like beautiful, mm-hmm. which I love that like intersection. Um, so highly recommend. My next pick is called Lunch and Wow. <laughs> it's called <laughs> I forgot how much I, I, I mispronounce stuff when I <laughs> recording. I do it all day probably and no one says anything. And then once I'm aware of myself talking, I'm like, what am I saying? Anyway. <laughs> Minus next pick is called Once in Future Feminist. Um, and it's uh, edited by uh, this author, Merve Emery, who also writes really good book reviews. I think I want to say the London Review of Books. Um, and it's structured in a really interesting way. So the first essay is written by Merve and it's called On Reproduction. 
and it kind of looks at reproductive technology from like the invention of like the incubator um, to like egg freezing and IVF. It came out a few years ago and, you know, there's been a, it's not a relatively like novel topic, um, but she does, you know, a pretty good job, I think, of kind of giving an overview and includes interviews with different women who are in, you know, various stages of using or having used reproductive technology. Um, but what makes the book so kind of interesting and remarkable is that the first essay, which is called kind of like a forum, is by Merve, and then eight different feminist writers respond to the essay. Nice. So you have criticism, and some of it's like, you know, strong criticism of the essay from all these different angles. So there's one that's using like a black feminist perspective on reproductive justice. And there's a few that are looking more at like bioethics and another one that's like more of a Marxist perspective on gestational labor. And then afterwards, Mervé writes like a response little essay. And I personally have thin skin and I could not publish and have my name on a book where then people just kind of find different (laughs) ways to criticize your argument. But um, and again, it's, you know, it's criticism in the academic text, it's academic mm-hmm. sense. It's not just like, I didn't like it. Um, but we like talked a lot about reproduction and reproductive technology and like the labor of homemaking and child rearing. And with me getting my hysterectomy, like a lot of people had questions around if I wanted to, you know, if what I still do, I want to freeze my eggs and I don't need to because I still have my ovaries. So I am my own mm-hmm. free egg freezer. Um, but you know, there was, a, I was thinking a lot about it, um, for me, much more from a sense of ambivalence where like, I don't fucking care. I'm not going to have kids. But, um, I think like this book offers like a really good kind of tasting menu of all the different, like, or a bunch of different perspectives on the issue. And I think as reproductive access has been put on the table in the States with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about abortion access, which I think is so super, super, super critical. But then sometimes other conversations around specifically reproductive justice and the choice to have a child mm-hmm. um, and who is kind of allowed by society to have one, mostly like upper middle class white women um, mm-hmm. can get lost. So this was just a, a, a good topical read. And again, it's, it's small because um, mm-hmm. I don't like lugging around big books. Um, but yeah, really, really interesting. And I saw that Merve MRA wrote like an annotated, um, Mrs. Dalloway and Mrs. Dalloway is one of my favorite books. So I'm like, Oh, I got to get my hands on that. So yeah, that's, that's my pick number two. What's Merve's like background? Like, are they an academic? Yeah, she's an academic who I can read you her. I'll just the back of the book I have the books with me like I'm like doing a YouTube video like holding them up nice. to the camera with my hand behind it like it's a beauty vlog we should do a video um, cast sometime that would be funny Everyone oh my god see, see the faces <laughs> um let's just say associate professor of English at University of Oxford mm. um and also wrote a book on the history of personality testing I don't know if you've ever had to take the Myers-Briggs test yeah yeah Totally. We had to do that for call like during my college like search process. I don't I don't know what that had to do with me applying for colleges. 
<laughs> I'm an INFP, if that means anything to anyone. When I was applying for a, a job in uh, in the summertime, I was applying for this one company. I don't remember what it was, but they were like, take this quiz that'll take you 30 minutes before you apply to, to so you can t- know like what kind of job you should be applying for. And it was basically like a like a what's your like dream job quiz and they like made you take it before you applied for the job and then like sent you the results and it was like this is what you should look for in a job this is what you're really good at this is what you're not good at this is what you definitely shouldn't look for and I'm like and it's like how would you let me apply for your damn job please that's so annoying because like normally went right with your your cover letter you're like this is what I'm good at and like this is what I can do and like blah 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 so it's weird to have a yeah simply look at my resume Yeah, Yeah, and then they're saving that information, so they're going to look at my resume and then be like, oh, well, she didn't actually do very well on this part of the quiz that we really need them to, so. Oh, God. I mean, I was someone who grew up on the, like, BuzzFeed quiz kind of entire shebang, so I I appreciate a a quiz where you suddenly are like, oh, my gosh, I'm this kind of omelet. Like, Oh, yeah, I love those, yeah. (laughs) Really validating when you don't have, like, your job prospects on the line. Yeah, totally. Um, I love a good fun quiz as well, like a cosmopolitan, like, uh, you know. When we would take gender studies courses, it was typically like first day you go around, you say your name, you say your pronouns, and then like some sort of like fun fact. A lot of the time it was just like, what's your what's your astrology sign? Um, and one prof who was new, she was like, you know, say your name, say your pronouns, and then like, you know, what kind of animal you think you are or whatever. And someone was like, why don't we do astrology? And she was like, no, because everyone judges me when they hear my sign. And then everyone just goes, are you a Gemini? And she's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And every person I've ever met who like opposes sharing their sign is always a Gemini. Always a Gemini? I have many Gemini placements. You know, I, I feel a kindred spirit to them, but. I do have a couple bad experiences with Geminis. One of my earlier boyfriends was a Gemini when I was like 16, but he was also a skateboarder and I blame most of his bad <laughs> habits on the skateboarding um, and the like repeated concussions and yeah, not, but... not on his <laughs> astrological side. <laughs> there are other things going against him besides being oh, a yeah. Gemini. <laughs> oh. <laughs> What's your next um, pick? Okay, so I'm going to get into podcast realm now. Enough of reading. Who has time? Sure. Um, so I've been listening to the podcast Novara FM from Novara Media. So Novara is a leftist online media network in England. And most of their content is super focused on British politics, um, which, yeah, it's like the Tories are doing this or like, I don't know, I just, it's it's a little bit too much for me. Um, but but like Novara FM is very, I mean, it's still super political, but like more of like their cultural content. Um, so some recent episodes I listened to that I really enjoyed were Choose Your Own Family Adventure with Sophie Lewis. Um, and you've talked about Su- Sophie Lewis on the pod before, right? Love Sophie Lewis. Yeah. So the episode is just about like undoing the nuclear family and reinventing how we relate to one another. Um, it gets into like some weird areas, um, but I, I personally loved it. There's like a little bit on like she got attacked on Twitter for like talking about like how octopuses are like erotic. Isn't there like an entire genre of pornography around? Exactly. Like That's not like the weirdest if we're going with erotic animals, that's not that's not the one that would seem the strangest to me personally. 
and keep in mind, like, Sophie Lewis is someone who's written a book that just came out called, like, Abolish the Family. So I feel like if conservatives want to go after her, they could have picked a better target. In yeah, terms totally. Of obviously there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then another episode I liked that just came out was called Identity Polit- Politics Hijacked with Olufemi Otewo. Um, and it's just about like identity politics and the journey from the ideas inception at the Kambahi River Collective. Um, and then where we are now with it. And obviously, like, again, like conservatives, like pitching a fit over identity politics being taught in schools and whatever. Um, and how the concept has kind of like molded and changed over time, but um how it can still be used for radical transformation. And I feel like Otewa gets into some really interesting ground that I've never like really thought about when considering identity politics. Um, so yeah, recommend. That's really cool. And um, yeah, identity politics is like, gets just thrown around now. And this, it's one of these things that's kind of lost all meaning, like the term emotional labor or whatever, where you're like, no, exactly. there was a real thing at the beginning of this. And now it means, you know, something it's been so changed so I definitely want to check that out it's like one of those things that has just um been so like persistent in culture and used in so many different ways that it's been like totally abstracted from its meaning entirely um so it was interesting to get like back to the roots and like where like these kind of like radical thinkers are taking it Mm. yeah what's your next pick my next pick is a documentary um Mm called All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. And it's a documentary about the photographer Nan Golden. So I caught like an early premiere of the film because I live in New York now and I get mm. to do that. Um, and it's like probably one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. And this is coming from someone who is like president of the high school documentary film club. Like I'd like <laughs> to think I'm pretty well versed in it. Um, and it's like won a bunch of awards. It won the Golden Lion. It got picked up, I guess, HBO when it comes to streaming is gonna um got the rights to it i'm pretty sure it's out now or out soon um but it's just like so so good and so beautiful and it it takes like the really kind of familiar format of documentaries around artists where it's like the present time when they're working on a project and then like goes back to their past kind of in a chronological order and then it cuts back to the present like you know with the Marina Ambronovich, the artist is present, mm-hmm. or with like Ai Weiwei, Never Sorry, or like any any t- kind of typical art documentary. Um, and part of what makes this movie so special is like the immense amount of archival photos and videos that are used. And so this is like New York in the 80s and 90s. And like Nan's perhaps most famous work is her slideshow exhibition called The Ballad of Sexual Dependency, um, which she would show to music. Um, and I didn't realize that she would change out what photos were in the slideshow and change up the music kind of in response to the audience and to where she was in life. And in the documentary, she says that whenever one of her subjects complained that they didn't like how they looked in a photo, she wouldn't use it again, which I love. And I don't know how much you or, or listeners know about Nan Golden, but she's kind of such a pioneering figure of photography where she was just taking photos of herself and of her friends and of her community and um it was when no one was really doing that like at the same time you kind of have Robert Maplethorpe but that's much more artistic and curated and staged and Mm -hmm. she just like had a camera and had a really interesting use of flash and focus um and 
So you have these kind of really stunning, beautiful pictures of people who maybe would not necessarily be considered um, to be like subjects of art, you know? So she was a sex worker and she lived with sex workers and she was part of various different kind of queer collectives and did a lot of work too around the HIV AIDS epidemic. Um, So there's a lot of footage and photography that's in the documentary. It's not just kind of talking heads talking at you. Um, and in her kind of current work, she's the founder of this advocacy group called PAIN, which stands for Prescription Addiction Intervention Now, which targets big pharma's role in the opioid crisis. And Nan herself um, suffered from addiction from Oxy after being prescribed after uh, some sort of surgery. Um, So she started this organization that goes after specifically the Sackler family who own Purdue Mm -hmm. Pharma. Um, And it's been going on for a couple of years now and they um, paid hosts like kind of die-ins and different protests. So they went to the wing in the Metropolitan Museum, which is like this big Egyptian tomb and it has all this fountains around it and threw like a bunch of uh, pill containers in it and stuff. And so they, they started doing all of these, um, these actions that were also really inspired by ACT UP and the activism around the HIV AIDS epidemic. And um, they're kind of demanding that museums stop taking money from the Sacklers and take down their names. Cause like every big museum has like a Sackler wing or a Sackler yeah, building yeah. or whatever. Um, and Nan is kind of able to leverage her position as like a highly, highly regarded artist and so every museum has stuff in their collection of hers or like wants her to do a show so there's like there's this really interesting kind of she has this leverage that perhaps other people who you know aren't as kind of notorious and famous um have and so it's, it's just like a really beautiful really beautiful documentary and I highly recommend people see it and as someone who you know like you were saying with politics a form of a mortal girl or like anyone who's ever read just kids or like any of I feel like I have this nostalgia in this way for a time I I did not live in um you know and being in a city in the 80s and the 90s even though it was so different and you know my mom lived in the city in the 80s and it was not necessarily very very different to where it is now um but it's nice to to feel like you're really in in it in this way that that documentary sounds really um really cool and I'm definitely going to check it out and I also just love all the activism that's happening around art galleries right now and like um like all the the climate activists like throwing Mm -hmm. stuff on paintings um and just like trying to get art to be like a radical space again and not a corporate one um Mm -hmm. and like divest from fossil fuels and divest from like billion dollar companies that are killing people um is uh very inspiring love it and especially because, like, museums and galleries, too, can be, like, the site of just so much violence, too. Like, you think about all of the artifacts and art and, you know, human remains that have just been taken yeah. by places. Um, is, like, the after the Queen of England died, there's that tweet where someone was like, quick, while no one's looking, everyone go get your stuff from the British Museum. Yes. Like... <laughs> Like, like kind of imagining a a space that isn't just, yeah, corporate Mm -hmm. and 
genocide. <laughs> like, what museums could be? What you got next? Okay, my next is from a show we love that we've mentioned before. It's You're Wrong About, uh, hosted by Sarah Marshall. And they re- recently came out with an episode called Online Shopping um, with Amanda Mull. And at first I was like, sounds like fluff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was like bored and listened to it. And it was actually... Like, I feel like the title doesn't do it justice because it sounds like it's going to be online shopping, but then it's just like an amazing journey into the history of modern day consumerism as we know it. Um, Like from the ancient market square uh, to the Silk Road to like Shine or Shein, Shine. I think it's Shein. Yeah, they say it's called Shein, but when I um, see it, I say Shine. So it was just like one of those episodes that I really love that like takes you through this like huge, like arching history and drops you off at the end. Um, so yeah, definitely recommend that Ooh, one. That sounds really good. Yeah. That makes me think of a podcast series that came out a few years ago called Articles of Interest mm-hmm. um, by Avery Truffleman. And I think it came out through 99% Invisible, which is kind of a podcast mm-hmm. about like design. Um, but it was just all about fashion. But um, like she took things you like really benign things like pockets and like talks about like the history of pockets and then suddenly it's like about like women's liberation and like pockets versus bags tiny pockets like, <laughs> yes like tiny pockets or how like in you know medieval times you added these pockets it was like it's really cool so she does really uh, um a good one on kind of uh knockoffs and like fake clothing and like dapper dan who was making kind of using the Louis Vuitton print or whatnot to make this like amazing clothing and then kept getting like cease and desist letters. So nice fashion, fashion podcasts are like surprisingly, like not always just about fashion, which totally. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I definitely want to find out the history of how we got the tiny pockets, like the tiny t-shirt pocket. That's like, Mm. just sits over your nipple on like women's t-shirts. That's just like the size of your nipple. And you're like, what do I, what do I store in this tiny nipple pocket? <laughs> okay. Uh, what do you got for us next? Um, my last recommendation is A Certain Hunger, which is a novel by Chelsea G. Summers. And it's like a book talk book. So like you're not on TikTok. I am. Most of my TikTok is like really lovely. Um, and then every once in a while I get like weird crunchy mom content because it thinks I'm a mom <laughs> from my nannying days. Yeah. Be like here's how to do cloth diapering I was like this does not apply to me um but so there's like a whole genre on TikTok called book talk where people like talk about their books and it's kind of like dark academia like people whose personalities like they read so they'll like highlight have nice highlighters and bookmarks and it'll be like beautiful books on book stands blah 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 um so this came up in like lists of books that were like unlikable female protagonists to like the Fleabag season two, like opera song. So it'd be like mm-hmm. that. And you'd have like my year of rest and relaxation and like all these kind of books. Um, and I like surprisingly enjoyed it. I like picked it up one day when I wanted something to read while I was like at a like outdoor bar thing. Um and I'm, like, not big on novels, and I'm, like, kind of pretentious and don't like reading popular things. Um, but, like, the premise of the book is it's a woman who's a food writer and a food critic, and then she's a cannibal. But mm-hmm. specifically, she eats her ex-lovers. 
And so that's where you get the whole like unlikable female, like, you know, American psycho, but it's a woman kind of, kind of enthusiasm. Um, But like what I like most about the book is mostly just like where she talks about food. Mm -hmm. Um, And the writer seems to like really know her shit when it comes to food. And so like each chapter, the title is like a different food or drink that kind of ties into the story. Um, And the cannibalism is like kind of secondary. It's like, it's like fine. It's whatever. It's not like, but um, it's also like, if you look at it from a certain angle, like it's a book about like the death of the magazine industry. Because the writer is, like, now in her 50s. It's, like, you know, 2010s or whatever. But back in the 90s, she used to write for, like, glossy, expensive magazines and got to just, like, make a living off of food criticism. And it was this time where, like, you know, like, Sex in the City, like, you could just be a writer, blah, blah, blah. Um, (laughs) And then over time, like, the magazines close. And the next thing you know, she, like, has a blog that uses, like, affiliated links talking about food. So... It's kind of like you the 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 arc of the story um is kind of about like food and then her getting to the point where she decides to eat her lovers. Um but it's also like really funny. Like one of them has like a really nice spot and so she like makes a rump roast out of his rump. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then it's also about like a woman who's now in her fifties and like the decisions she's made to like, you know, live kind of that solitary glamorous writer's life and not have kids or have really stable partners and just Mm -hmm. as the world around her changes in this way um so yeah I was it's making me consider if maybe all these people posting about popular books are actually correct and I should just stop being a piece of shit and read more of them (laughs) This is my problem with why I get into things like two years late, because when I first, you know, when I first saw people posting about, um, about how to do nothing in like 2019, I was like, I don't want to read that. Everyone's reading that. And then I read it and I actually really like it. So, you know, I suffer from the same problem. Um, what's your last recommendation? Okay. My last recommendation is a TV show. Um, similar thing. I think a lot of people were watching this when it came out in 2020. Um, but I missed the boat. Um, so if you haven't seen it, um, it's called I May Destroy You. Have you watched it? Yes. Oh, I think when it nice. came out. So I haven't seen it since and I probably should revisit it. Yeah. There, I mean, there's only one season and it was only, it was only just the one season and Michaela Cole, it's, it's a show that's like written and created by Michaela Cole, who also stars in it. And she's said that like, I don't think they're going to do anymore. Mm. It's like a standalone season. Um, but yeah, so Michaela Cole stars as the lead character, um, Arabella, and the subject matter deals with Arabella's journey after she's raped in the first episode. So yeah, big like trigger warning on this one. Um, the content is really intense, um, and I like definitely had to fast forward sections. Um, so be aware of that. Um, it's on Crave. Like I think it's it's an HBO thing, so mm-hmm. you can find it there. But yeah, I think the part that stuck out for me were just like Arabella's friendships throughout her grief journey. I was expecting the story to be like full of this dark and depressing and looming content. And it was for obvious reasons, but um, it was honestly really just like beautiful. uh, What like a central role these loving relationships took throughout the narrative. Um, And I found it really almost joyful in a weird way. 
because you're just like seeing all these characters. I mean, there's lots of flashbacks to like a time before the trauma and like all of them just like bonding and, and being really, really good friends that have been friends since they were like children. Um, and then also how they're, you know, helping each other through this current trauma and grief. Um, yeah, it's quite beautiful. And Michaela Cole did another TV show that's she? lighter called Chewing Gum that was on Netflix. I don't know if it's still oh. on Netflix because she originally, I think, pitched I Made a Story You to Netflix and they were like going to give her like a really shitty deal where she like wouldn't get rights over it or something. So she went to HBO. But Chewing Gum is like much more lighthearted. Um, and again, like she writes and stars in it and she plays like a teenager who's like really wants to have sex and hilarious so <laughs> if nice you want okay it, i'll check that out too that's a kind of counter to her work yeah yeah all right well that's it for today this is our yeah. recommendation list we'll have links to all of this stuff in the show notes obviously so as far as what people can expect from us in the future um we're both obviously super busy but i'm gonna start working on an episode so you can watch out for that it's gonna be on cyber feminism Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, I'm excited for that. I don't want to make any promises as to when it'll be out. <laughs> yeah, whenever so. we say something's going to be like the next week, <laughs> it's like a month later. It's definitely not going to be in a week, maybe in a month. Uh, you'll just have to stay tuned and find out. Awesome. Yeah, I'm working slowly on one on the Riot Girl movement. Um, nice. It'll be a musical episode. Oh, hell yeah. I love it. Clips and not have to talk as much. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>